probably three times. Isaiah and I did it first because when Allison gave it to me, he was the only one old enough to help. And then we've torn it apart and rebuilt it at least twice. It's 2,700 pieces, and it's about 30 inches long and about 22 inches tall. It's incredibly fun to do, but the best part is the last pieces that go on because you finally finished. Uh, Maybe you're not into Legos. Maybe you're just into misplacing things in your home. That might be me. Every time I look for something, you know where I find it? The last place I look. So why don't I just start with the last place and then I find it right away? I've tried that. It doesn't work. Because it's always, never in the first place. Always in the last place I look. If you don't get the joke, that's because I stopped looking after I find it. So it's the last place I looked. We're hitting that stage of Ephesians 6. Uh, He starts this section, which is really the final section of meat, though there's lessons to be learned in the last verses. This is that section, and he starts by saying, finally. And then we have a tendency to misunderstand. So we've reached the last part. Let's pray, and then we'll read it. Father, we come to you this morning asking that you would illuminate your word to us so that we would understand what you've written so that in understanding it, we would understand you, that in understanding you, we would be like you, and that in being like you, we would share you with the world around us. We pray, Father, that you would be honored and glorified this morning in us, your people. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I forgot something. I forgot that my parents are here. And I was given specific direction from an elder. Who am I to go against the word of an elder to make them stand and see if we can embarrass them? They said no. That means they are embarrassed. You... Somebody said good. It was his fault. Anyway, they're here. If you get a chance, say hi to them. Whatever they tell you about me, don't believe it. But that is that. They're here. Unfortunately, the weather is coming in. Dave Petrovich might have convinced them to leave early. I don't know what he was thinking. But we're back in Ephesians. Finally. Finally, 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 And ask yourself, while we read this, why he says, finally. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and uh, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Why does he say, finally? Is it because it's the final section? Sort of last, oh hey, here's one more thing to keep in mind? Or is there more to that? The answer is there's more to it. This isn't something tacked on to the end of this book as a final reminder because he had forgotten to mention it before. This is the culmination of his commands. Remember, chapters 1 through 3 tell us who we are in Christ. Chapter 4 starts with something different. And we're told to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. As we look at this idea of walking, we could flip through multiple parts of this book. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, past tense walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. 2.10 says that we're saved by grace, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, so we start with saying how you used to walk, how I used to walk, now how we are supposed to walk future, finishes chapter 3 and starts in chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love. Chapter 5, verse 8. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of light. Verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. That is how we are to walk, right? He gets to this finally after we have put into place how we are to walk. But not only how we are to walk, the commands out of chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, say to put off your old self and put on your new self. Right, That's what all of chapter 5 and the beginning part of chapter 6 is about, telling us how to put off, how to put on, how to walk in a way that is honoring to Christ. But not only walking, not only putting off and putting on, we're told to submit. Chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your husbands, husbands to Christ. All of you submit. Beyond that, Chapter 6, verse 1, children obey your parents, which is a form of submission. Beyond that, chapter 6, verse 5, bond servants obey your earthly masters, which is a form of submission. But beyond just walking in a manner worthy of our calling, beyond just putting off our old self and putting on our new self, beyond just submitting, we're to lead. Husbands leading their wives, protecting, looking out for Fathers looking out for protecting their children. Masters looking out for protecting their slaves. And once you've done all of that, 
you can put on the armor of God. But don't we? Don't we start by saying, hey, you're a believer now. Put on the armor of God and everything will go well. But that's not even the flow of the letter that talks about the armor of God. I am not saying you ignore the armor of God until everything else is right in life. But if we are to put on the armor of God, we are going to have to look like walking in a manner worthy of our calling. We're going to have to look like putting off our old self and putting on the new self. Why? Because the armor wasn't ours to begin with. It's a new thing. We're going to have to look like people who submit. We're going to have to look like people who lead well. Then finally, as the coup de grace of that, put on the armor of God. So if we want to be the kind of soldiers we're called to be for Christ, it starts by all of those other things. Not just waking up in the morning and saying, God, I'm going to put on these pieces of armor. Interesting question that you can answer before next week. I'd love text messages, emails, phone calls, whatever. How many pieces of armor are there? Read it, count it, let me know. Not now, not now. Saw some hands going up. Ooh, ooh, I can't. No, not yet. Shh. Don't be helping people out. Finally, as a last step to all those other things, put or be strong. And there's an interesting thing about the the verbs out of this section. We've talked about verbs before. We've talked about the importance of verbs before. As we look at the commanding verbs, the imperatives, there's something that I learned this week that maybe you all already knew, but it was new to me. All of these commands are plural. I didn't know that. I've studied this passage a lot of times. I've always just assumed he's talking to me or to individuals put on the armor of God, but he's not. He's writing a letter to a group of people, a church of people. He's giving that group commands all the way through this letter that are all plural. All of you walk in a manner. All of you submit. All of you lead. All of you put off and put on. And now he comes to the armor of God and he says, finally if we can use our sort of vernacular to it, finally, all of you be strong in the Lord. Finally, all of you, you all put on the armor of God. You all take up the armor of God. You all stand firm. I didn't know that. This is a command to the church in Ephesus. Not a command to the individuals. Though if the church in Ephesus is going to fulfill it, all of the individuals must be fulfilling it. So it is, by definition then, also a command to the people, but it's ultimately a command to the church. Bethel Baptist Church. Be strong. Is that where it ends? There's a centrality of God in this that we miss if we say, we are going to be strong because we are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We are not told to be strong in our power, in our ability, in our perspective, in our ideas, in our fortitude, in our perseverance. We are told to be strong 
in God. Period. So as a group, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, we are one body, functioning in this command in the same way, for just as one just as the body is one and, his many, and has many members, and all the members are of one body, though many. I'm going to read that again because I botched that something fierce. Let's read it out of my Bible where it's a little closer. 12, 12 to 14. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And together we fulfill this command of being strong. We fulfill the command of putting on the armor. We fulfill the command of standing firm. And we come back to Christ. We come back to the reality that is him. We've looked at it before. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 says that Christ is to be what? Preeminent in all things, including our strength, including our standing firm, including our putting on of the armor. Christ is to be preeminent, central, most important. But it's easy to come to these passages and think, now what do I do? How do I help secure the victory? Which is not only foolish, but dangerous. Revelation chapter 19 is one of my favorite passages because it's just wild. Revelation chapter 19, verses 13 to 15. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Right, we're going to back up just a little bit. Leave that screen on there. We're going to back up so that we understand of whom we are speaking. Begin in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. This is Jesus. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and has the name by which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Who wins this battle. There's two armies and one fighter. Both armies lose to the or would, would lose to the one fighter. Jesus is not only the victor, but the only participant. No one can stand against him. No one, nobody can add anything to him. He goes to war. His army comes with him as observers, effectively. And the army he's against comes to him like waves crashing on a shore. They have nothing to do. They just break apart. From his mouth comes a sword. His very word that ends 
the war. And now we talk about this battle, this battle that we are in. We're told to be strong in his might, to be strong in the Lord, to put on the armor, which gives the idea that we're to war, we are to win, but we come to the end of the story and we find out we aren't the victors. We're participants, observers, not winners. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, not win against the schemes of the devil. And that's where I mentioned earlier, it's dangerous if we get this backwards. If we think we are going to beat Satan, we're wrong. We don't possess that strength. The Lord does. He is the victor. He is the one who destroys Satan. He's the one who died on the cross to destroy death. He's the one who took the wrath of God for all sins, not us. We stand to stand firm. Let's just look at what it says in here about standing. Verse, uh, verse 11 says, stand against the schemes of the devil. That's what we do. Verse 13 says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done everything to stand, therefore stand firm. That's what we're told to do. Interestingly, we are only told to not die in effect. Don't lose. We're not called to win. We're called to simply not lose. That seems a little condescending at first. I'm only good enough to not lose. But the reality is I'm not even good enough to not lose. I can only be in a place where I don't lose because I rest on his power, on his laurels, on his victory over sin. I don't even have enough to not lose. So now I'm told to not lose, which is like a giant step up from what my abilities really are. This isn't condescending. This is God valuing us. There's a passage of scripture that we, that we can easily misuse. And it fits in perfectly with this. As we are to put on the armor of God to stand, we have to ask the question, what is the result of standing? And we'll get there. But there's a passage of scripture that is so frequently used that we're going to talk about it. It's Psalm 46.10. Some of you might be able to quote it for me. But the question is, when the Bible says, be still and know that I am God, of what is he speaking? What's the context? Context is really important. What is the context of being still and knowing that God is God? Let's read it and find out. Psalm chapter 46, verses 8 to 10. Come. Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. How he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. What is God doing? God is out there. Wherever out there is in this moment, he's out there ending wars, putting things to rest, destroying enemies. 
And because of that, it says he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Because of all of that, be still and know that I am God. What does that mean? It means, as we look at this passage, it means that the author is told to stop trying and watch God do what only God can do. Not go to a quiet place and bow your head and be still and know that God is God. That's great. I am not putting that down. There's no reason to. That's a good thing to do. But this is saying, stop trying to win and just watch that God is doing it without you. Be still. Stop being active. Chill out. Just observe. God is winning without your effort. Know that he is God. When you see him win and not need help, you'll know that he is God. We put on the armor so that we can stand, not so that we can win, because he is the one who wins. So then what role do we play? We're going to skip all of the armor of God pieces for a moment. And let's look at the end. What does Paul want out of all of this? To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me. What is his request for himself, which clues us in as to the point of the standing? And also for me, that in opening my mouth, I may boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. What is Paul's role in all of this? To boldly go where no man, oh, sorry. To boldly share the gospel of Christ to people who need it. Not timidly. Not out of, I guess I have to. But boldly. Why? Let's go back to the early, an earlier portion of this scripture. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What are the schemes of the devil? You ever thought about that? What is Satan trying to accomplish? We have a tendency to put Satan in this ultimate villain role, which he is the ultimate villain, but in movies and in stories, the villain is trying to take over the world. And that is not what Satan is trying to do. Did you know that? Satan is not out to win. He knows he's lost. Christ died on the cross and took the weight of that sin, took the guilt for all of us as God's people on himself. Satan can't win that. He beat death, beating Satan. Satan can't beat that. So what is he trying to do? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to conquer Seeking someone over whom to be victorious? 
seeking someone to devour. That's what he's after. Destruction, chaos, death. What does sin bring? Sin brings death. Can it bring anything else? No. First, or James chapter 1, verses 14 to 16 tells us that we're tempted by our own evil desires. And when we follow that, sin comes. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death as the only result that it brings about. Genesis chapter 2, God says, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, dying, you will surely die. Physically and spiritually, death. For the wages of sin is death. The right payment of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. And when that's the result of sin, what we get is destruction and chaos out of Satan, not someone looking for victory. His victory is already lost. So now he seeks destruction and chaos. What is the counterpart to destruction and chaos? Life and security, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. His his goal is destruction. We're given a message that gives life. His goal is chaos. We're given a message that gives security. So when we look at the world around us and we see what appears to be Satan overwhelmingly victorious, we need to step back and say we are to stand firm, which means we continue to share the gospel. We continue to share life with the people around us. We continue to share the gospel. We continue to share security with the people around us because the cross, the gospel, is the power of God both to salvation and victory. Finally, 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 brothers, be strong in the Lord. All of you, as a church, be strong in the Lord, resting in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil who seeks destruction and chaos. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Beyond our enemy just being Satan, our enemy is also this this cosmic world, this arcane power that is not people. If we look at life, It's really easy for us when we talk about who are our enemies to have names of people pop in our minds or names of groups of people pop in our minds. They are not your enemy. They are your opportunity to share the gospel. They are not your enemy. They never will be. They weren't intended to be. Our enemy is the ruler's the authorities, the old powers of spiritual darkness that are a result, a direct result of Satan himself. So we put on the armor 
as we've shown ourselves to be men and women who want to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, who want to put off our old self and put on our new self, who want to submit to Christ right, who want to lead people in a way that honors God, we put on the armor so that we can stand and not get destroyed by the overwhelming chaos and destruction of our enemy so that we can share the gospel with the people who need it. Our Outreach and Missions Board is putting a lot of effort into giving us opportunities to share Christ with our neighbors through just starting by just engaging with them. And by neighbors, I mean the people right around Bethel, but also the people around your homes. That is our call to bring the gospel first to them. And then when the gospel has been brought to them, to bring it beyond to others, to anyone else that we can. We're given opportunities as a body, but if we don't, like we were talking about pinch hitting for our wives or the ladies of Bethel, if we don't step into that role to play out what God calls us to do, it's not that his plan will be thwarted. We're not strong enough for that but we miss out on the opportunity for this church, this body of people to be that lampstand talked about in Revelation 1 where we are a light to the people honoring to Christ. If we ignore this opportunity, he says he will remove that position from us because he doesn't need Bethel to do it, but he gives us the opportunity to be part of it with him. Be strong in the Lord, in his strength, in his might, in his armor. Just one final thing on that. Do you like that final? (laughs) This is God's armor, not yours, not mine. It's called a genitive. It's a possessive. Put on God's armor that is his as stewards of what he's given to us. That means sort of putting it in your closet and thinking, I'll pull this out when the time is right, is pointless and worthless. Putting on the armor of Christ, the armor of God, his armor that he loans to us is a must do or we can't stand. The next two weeks, we'll be talking about what that armor looks like, what pieces there are to engage with. Be reading Ephesians particularly Ephesians 6. Count how many pieces of armor there are. Let me know. And we'll come back to it next week. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us your son. We pray, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified in us. We pray that as we engage with putting on your armor, as we engage with standing firm of taking the focus off of us for victory, but putting it squarely on you, Lord, we pray that you would empower us, enable us, motivate us, push us forward and cause us to recognize that you and you alone are the one worthy of praise. We love you. We thank you for loving us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.